Uh, I am going to be reading from Matthew 27 today. Um, I will start this with a content warning because I think it's important to do so. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Judas because I'm a glutton for punishment, I suppose. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that story does uh, end with his suicide. And so uh, if that is a, a trigger for you, I really encourage you to uh, take all the space that you need. If you need to walk out, that's okay. Uh, if you need to switch off the stream, that's totally fine. Uh, no one will mind. We'll understand. And if, uh, if that's something that you'd like to have a conversation with me about or one of the elders or deacons or anyone in the church, we're, we're really happy to have those conversations. So uh, I know that this is going to be hard for people. Uh, so Matthew 27 uh, says this, Early in the morning, all of the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it's against the law to put this money into the treasury since, it's the, since it is blood money. So they decided to use it to buy a potter's field as the burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you provide space for worship, that you provide space for, for difficult questions. And Lord, we pray that our hearts be soft and our minds be eager to always learn more about who you are and how you love us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Good morning again, everyone, and welcome to week four of our Just Before I Go series, where we're having a, a nice in-depth look at those uh, final few days leading up to Jesus's death and resurrection, the really important part. And uh, this week, I was, I got into my head, I'm like, we need to talk about the way that people let Jesus down. Uh, and then we need to look at the ways that actually uh, Jesus is still gentle and kind and loving towards those people. So the first iteration of this sermon, and as if you know me, you'll know that sermons go through many, many iterations. And the first iteration of this sermon um, was I was going to talk about all the people that let Jesus down in uh, what we call Holy Week, uh, and then looking at Jesus's response to them. And then I realized immediately this was a very, very ambitious task, as nearly everyone lets Jesus down in this final week. Like, really, people miss the mark in a big way. Um, here's, here's a non-exhaustive list of people that let Jesus down. Um, I mean, Peter, obviously, he, like, attacks the people that come for Jesus, um, and then he denies Jesus, knowing Jesus altogether. Uh, all the male disciples fall asleep when they're supposed to be keeping watch, and then they scatter as soon as he's arrested. Uh, the crowd that cry, save us, on Palm Sunday just a few days earlier are crying for his crucifixion just a few days later. 
the leaders of the temple who really their primary responsibility is to look after people and to try and help them worship instead of fixated on trying to murder Jesus. Uh, the Roman officials who are there and supposed to uphold law and order don't really do a great job of that. Um, we could say that when Jesus cries, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We might even uh, ask if Jesus feels let down by God himself. That's like a theological point, and we can talk about that if you're interested. But all to say, Jesus has had a pretty rough week, even before the crucifixion. So <laughs> there have been a lot of people that let him down. In fact, really, there's only a few that don't, and mainly it's the women. The women stay at the foot of the cross. The women stay super close. The women are awesome. I say this a lot. I'll say this again. We're probably going to do a series on it. Women are great. <laughs> be like the women at the cross. Don't be like anyone else, frankly. <laughs> but there is there is one person who I haven't mentioned this week, and, and it is kind of a big one, and I have hinted at it by the reading, uh, someone who is a bit auspicious by their absence on that list. I would say probably the person who has let down Jesus the most is Judas, Judas Iscariot. So this week I'm going to speak about Judas, because I don't think Judas gets many sermons about him, and as you know, that's just kind of interesting to me. And here's my aim, and hear me out. <laughs> what I'm going for is maybe by the end of this message, you have just slightly more sympathy for Judas than you did when you walked in here. <laughs> because actually, understanding Judas a bit more might help us learn something, and it might help us stop from making those same mistakes that he does, falling into the same traps that he does. So Judas's name is one that has pretty much come synonymous with betrayal. If you call someone a Judas, you know exactly what you're doing, you know exactly what it means, and it's not a kind thing to do. I, I will say, does anyone feel bad for the other Judas in the Twelve Disciples? Like, I know literally nothing about that other Judas than he's, like, not the bad Judas. That's, like, his only thing is that he's not Judas Iscariot. Um, but Judas is something of an easy target that's kind of understandable. Uh, selling out the savior of the world uh, isn't, isn't going to do you any favors. <laughs> He's an easy target. Uh, also, just so you know, I'm definitely going to mess up the names Jesus and Judas throughout this because I do that anyway, um, but bear with me. So if I say something like Judas is the savior of the world, that's, that's a slip of the tongue. That's not a bold theological statement. Uh, likewise, if I say if Jesus committed the greatest sin of all. Uh, rely on context and <laughs> what you think I'm actually trying to say there. Uh, but history has had quite a lot to say about Judas. I'd spent some time researching Dante's Inferno this week. Um, if you haven't read Dante's Inferno, don't read Dante's Inferno. That's my advice. It's basically medieval Christian fan fiction. <laughs> uh, but for some reason, it's kind of gripped us quite a lot, and we seem to pay more attention to Dante than, than the Bible about heaven and hell and all of those pieces. But in Dante's Inferno, which has gripped our imagination so much, we find Judas at the very, very, very bottom layer of hell. 
the final region of hell, which is reserved for traitors. Uh, traitors in Dante's mind were the worst thing that you can do. And the betrayers of God are at the very bottom of that very bottom layer. And that's where you find Judas, and it's where you find Satan, who also betrayed God. Actually, uh, Judas is in Satan's mouth in this, and they're all encased in ice. So, I've probably made that sound appealing, but it really is a waste of time. <laughs> if we're to look at perhaps a bit more contemporary commentary on Judas Iscariot, um, I was looking at the MacArthur Study Bible, which isn't something I'll do too often, but I think it's interesting to hear what modern scholars are saying about this. Uh, no man could be more evil than Judas Iscariot. Well, tell us how you really feel, John. Uh, only 11 other men in all of history have had the intimate personal relationship he had with the incarnate Son of God. No man has ever been more exposed to God's perfect proof, both in precept and example. No man has been more exposed to God's love, compassion, power, kindness, forgiveness, and grace. In a way that defies comprehension, Judas persistently resisted and rejected God's truth, God's grace, and even God's own son. His hypocrisy was a complete, so complete and deceptive that even when Jesus predicted that one of the disciples would betray him, Judas was not suspected. He does not pull his punches. And, and so I will say, I think he's right. <laughs> but I think there's more to it than this. I, I do think that of all the people that let Jesus down, yeah, Judas is at that top of that list. But I think there's more to his story than that. There's always a danger of, of making people two-dimensional. There's always a danger of not looking at the person behind the person, or, or a danger of reducing someone to their worst parts. Kind of like when we call someone a Scrooge, we being mean or grumpy about Christmas, but Ebenezer Scrooge is a guy that starts off mean, and at the end of it is super into Christmas and generosity and everything. And whilst betrayal is certainly a notable and perhaps the defining part of Judas's story, it, it's not the final thing, and it's not all that he does. We, we don't know that much about Judas from the Gospels either. Um, John 12, 4-6 says, uh, One of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold to, and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. <laughs> As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Again, not great. Like, <laughs> we're not hearing a lot of good things about Judas. But it's at this holy po low point of Holy Week in the scripture that I read earlier that we kind of find Judas at his most active. The Judas connives with those temple leaders to betray Jesus, and, and they're really delighted to find someone who's willing to sell out Jesus. And, of course, famously, Judas betrays the Prince of Peace and Lord of Life for 30 pieces of silver. But it's a Jesus' sham trial, and slightly after Peter's denial, 
that we hear of Judas's fate. I'll, I'll read this again. When Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What's that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And he went away and hanged himself. And, and so when I look at this story, as objectively as I can, which is near impossible, admittedly, I, like, I can't help but wonder, like, what could have been? One of the things that really stands out to me from that text is Judas's attitude seems to shift once he sees that Jesus is condemned. But, but let's remember, Jesus is constantly in trouble with the Sanhedrin. He's constantly getting into it with religious leaders. And every time he has exactly the right words to disarm accusers or to defuse conflict, they ask him, should we give to what should we give to Caesar? Who And he's like, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar and give to God what's God. What do I care? And they ask him, well, is it right to do these things on the Sabbath? And he diffuses it by saying, like, what is, is the Sabbath? What's the Sabbath for? Jesus knows exactly what to say to prevent harm. He gracefully evades violence every single time that he comes up against it. This is the same Jesus, remember, who simply drawing in the sand disarms the would-be murderers of this woman caught in adultery. Every single time Jesus has come up against this, he gets out of it. In fact, he, he teaches them a lesson. But now, when the stakes are at their absolute highest, he stays silent. And this is what's fascinating to me. I know I didn't read the whole thing, but read the trial of Jesus again. He barely says anything. The same Jesus that always had the right thing to say instead goes, it's as you say, like, sure. It literally translates as, you're talking now. You speak. The stakes are at their highest. It's going to cost him his life. And yet he says nothing. And, and so in my head, like so many of those at the foot of the cross, I imagine Judas crying, like, you saved others. Why can't you save yourself? And we know how that story ends, and we know where it has to go, but, but Judas didn't. And how could he know this wouldn't be like all the other times? <laughs> And what's interesting to me, that upon realizing that this wasn't like all the other times, that this wasn't like all the times that Jesus had evaded those evil machinations of religious leaders, that Jesus really was going to suffer, that he really was going to die, Judas is seized with remorse. And that's really interesting. Like, this isn't suddenly a quick buck for a victimless crime, but instead it's a, it's a sickening betrayal with real consequences. And when he realizes that giving up Jesus isn't worth those 30 pieces of silver, he, he tries to return them. Like, he tries to undo this damage as if he could unsay those words spoken against Jesus or those lies that we use to condemn him. And what's interesting, too, is that we don't really hear the reason why Judas sold out Jesus uh, we hear at a couple of points, actually, that Satan entered him. 
Uh, that is a story for another day, because I don't <laughs> really know what to do with that. Uh, but I dare say if Satan entered any one of us, we would probably say those are extenuating circumstances. But what it seems like to me is that Judas just loves money too much. And let's be clear, Jesus has an awful lot to say about people that love money too much. The scriptures have a lot to say about people that love money too much. The bad things that happen when we love money too much, when we put money over people, over relationships, over friendships, over what we know is right. The Bible is riddled with warnings against that. (laughs) And the only references we have about Judas is he took money when he wasn't supposed to out of the bag, and also he took payment for something he shouldn't have taken payment for. That seems to be the root cause of all of this, that he's obsessed with money, that he wants more. And here's the kind of awkward part. I know there's a bunch of times when I've chosen money over what Jesus wants me to do as well. There are, of course, extremes, and I think Judas goes to a pretty far extreme, but actually, I think I do this all the time. I constantly choose convenience or expedience at the expense of what Jesus would have me do. Like, like, I don't know, it's easier to slam Amazon, and then I don't know if people feel good or bad or guilty, Uh, but like, we all know that Amazon workers are treated terribly, but here I am still watching Prime and ordering from them. Like, I'm, I'm choosing money over what Jesus would have me do in that moment. Like, when I choose to buy from a company that I know has no concern for the environment or its employees, but it saves me money, like, I'm choosing money over what Jesus would have me do. Um, and I do realize that some people listen to this uh, might not have a choice. Uh, there are some people for... Yeah, it's it's either buy cheap or or starve, and and obviously, there's, there's, I'm not meaning to throw any uh, any blame at you, but for those of us that have the privilege of choice, I, I don't think I'm making the right choice as often as I should. Maybe, like choosing money over Jesus is really easy. I'm not saying this to make us all feel terrible, and I'm not saying you're all as bad as Judas Iscariot, and I don't think I'm as bad as Judas Iscariot either, which is one of the few nice things you'll hear me say about myself. But but I do think we need to be more intentional. I think I need to be more intentional. But at the root of this is that Judas chooses money over Jesus, and and it burns him quickly and awfully. And when that reality kicks in and those 30 pieces of silver suddenly weigh too much, that they suddenly cost too much, that they're suddenly not worth the cost, well, what's interesting to me is that Judas tries to take it back. He tries to return them. Like, he doesn't want to choose money over Jesus anymore, but, but it's too late. And Judas, despite all of the time that he'd spent with Jesus, those three years where he should have been paying more attention, he hasn't learned just how far the forgiveness of God can go. That there is no pit or cave deep enough where the forgiveness and love of God will not find you, will not find him. 
he hasn't quite understood that. Yeah, Jesus came to save sinners. That that was the point, right? <laughs> it's a sick that need a doctor, and that's what I'm here for, says Jesus. And maybe if Judas had spent a bit more time listening to that, instead of working out when's a good time to steal money, maybe that would have set for him a bit more. Maybe he'd understand that there was nothing that could separate him from the love of God, and we know that to be true. Instead, what he does is seek absolution from those that sought to exploit his greed in the first place, and, and unsurprisingly, he finds no solace there. Um, just, again, a real practical point here, if, if something that we do hurts someone, maybe don't seek out the person that we hurt that person with. Like, just seek out the person that you hurt and try to make amends there. Because, again, what's interesting is that after all these cruelties that are visited upon Jesus, all the people that let him down around that crucifixion, we see how Jesus spends time with those that let him down. But even, even on the cross itself, he cries, Father, forgive them. I know I've said this so many times in the last few weeks, but I really think this is important. I really think this is something that I need to, to learn and ground in myself as well. But those that have wronged him the most, he cries, Father, forgive them. The disciples, the same ones that fell asleep, that let him down, that ran away, he seeks a meal with them. Like Almost immediately, that's one of the first things he does. And Peter, who let down Jesus so many times in so many ways, denied even knowing him. They, they have this wonderful encounter that we find at the end of John's Gospel where for every time that Peter has denied Jesus, Jesus gives him the opportunity to say, I love you. But Jesus didn't get to see that. Because he thinks what he did was unforgivable. And, and here's the problem. He didn't do anything unforgivable. And if he just knew God better, he'd know... <laughs> And nothing's unforgivable, and and so I know this is this is just this is where my my thoughts and prayers and and wonderings have been this week. But like, don't, don't we think that Jesus would have been delighted at the opportunity to help make Judas better, like to store what is broken? Isn't that what Jesus does every time? I I can't help but wonder what could have been. Because it's often those that have done the worst things that actually feel the love of Jesus most deeply. Uh, I, I'm really privileged to uh, get to spend time with folks that have spent some time incarcerated. And, and they speak about like a love and forgiveness that I just can't know. <laughs> and maybe that's because they're more honest with the things they've done wrong than I am. But, but they really get it. And, and what an incredible testimony they have. And, and again, th this is not new, right? The, the Bible is filled with these people. Paul, who did a lot of murdering <laughs> before turning to Jesus and then writing a lot of our Bible, is this testimony to the fact that the love of God can burn away those darknesses and burn away those imperfections and burn away those lies that tell us that what we do is unforgivable, that we can't be reconciled anymore. Like, how, how incredible do you think it would be if if Jesus were able to say, like, this is Judas, and, and he did something he thought was unforgivable, he, he let me down more than anyone could. 
but but I forgave him and I love him. And and you wouldn't believe the impact that he's gonna have for my kingdom knowing that love and that forgiveness. Or could have been. There is there is like a small bit of beauty here in the that money we hear was used to buy a field to bury foreigners, uh, which is this kind of throwaway line almost. But I think there's a beauty that even maybe the dirtiest money <laughs> in the history of the world. <laughs> and remember, those pieces of silver were probably the ones I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Those are the pieces of silver used to pay the temple tax. So that was money that people had paid in order to worship God and ended up paying for God's murder. The, 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 the most chilling, disgusting money ever. And, and it's used to buy a field so that those that had no place to rest when they were alive at least have somewhere when they, when they die. Like, isn't that a testimony to, to God being able to redeem anything? Like, if God can redeem those 30 pieces of silver, what are the rest of us afraid of? I, I, I know this, I've said this a few times, uh, and it's kind of overt and obvious, but I, I, I've got to talk about forgiveness always, always, always. Let's not get caught in these kind of what could have beens when we refuse that forgiveness that Jesus offers over and over again. The resurrection assures us that death doesn't have the final word, and I get to talk more about that next Sunday. But the only one that we should be seeking atonement from is the one who overcame death anyway. What's, what's interesting to me is that Jesus, despite knowing what Judas would do, still invites him to dinner. He still invites him close. He still draws him near. And he probably knows that Judas is stealing money from the group. But he still keeps him close. Like... Who knows why? Maybe there's still this faint hope that maybe if I just if I just love him enough, if I draw him near enough, I can stop him from making that mistake that I know is going to cost him everything. And I think that's a reminder to us too that there are folks who are hard to love, <laughs> but we get to draw them close. We get to draw them near. And yeah, if we're really lucky, they get to understand how much God loves them to. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we fall before you as ones who have fallen short, but ones who love you anyway. Ones who always, always, always need to understand more how deep and far and vast and wide your love is. Lord, for those who are hurting, for those who have, have done things they think outside the realms of your forgiveness, we pray that you speak truth into their lives, that you turn that lie into your truth. Lord, we thank you for the way that you make all things new. We thank you and we love you and we ask these things in your name. Amen.